Mark's Gospel being the shortest of the Gospels, and John's Gospel being the next in size order in terms of the length, the amount of words that are contained, contained in it, and Mark's Gospel, and then the Gospel of John, then the Gospel of Matthew, then the Gospel of Luke. We want to get a comprehensive look at the life of Jesus, and so we'll continue with the Gospels. Having read Mark's Gospel, it said that Mark's Gospel has some 11,000 or so words. John's Gospel has 15,000 or so words. Matthew's Gospel, though it has the most chapters out of the four Gospels, is not the longest in terms of word content. It has about 18,000 words. Luke's Gospel is the longest, has about 19,000 words. So we will take the next book in size order, having read Mark's Gospel, which is the shortest. We'll go to the next shortest, which is John's Gospel, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We want a better, closer look at the life of our Lord Jesus Christ especially the words that he actually uttered that are recorded when he was on earth. And his life is our example. So the better we know his life, the better we know how he lived and what he said and how he ministered, the better we can be Christians and follow him. And out of the four Gospels, as we may know, Three of them are considered synoptic Gospels. And by synoptic, it means that they have a similar point of view or similar content. And John's Gospel is not a synoptic Gospel. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered synoptic Gospels. And one of the primary reasons is because they cover Jesus' ministry, much of it outside of his ministry in Judea. He had a Galilean ministry, and he went to other towns, even Gentile area. But John's Gospel focuses on his Judean ministry, which is the area around Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is located, and uh, those surrounding regions, Galilean ministry up in the north. The Gospel of John that we're going to commence reading, by God's grace, also has words and descriptions and interpretations within the Gospel by the writer, the Apostle John, Speaking of the divinity of Jesus Christ, and that's how it begins. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want to read it in the Amplified Version. John's Gospel chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God 
himself. In the beginning, brackets the Amplified Version says, before all time was the Word, and in parentheses says Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. He was present originally with God. Now, verse 2 says, He existed in the beginning with God in the New Living Translation. In the New King James, it says, He was in the beginning with God. If someone would read just verse 2, they can easily come to the conclusion that whoever was in the beginning with God, originally present with God, obviously is not God because he's with God. But verse 1 dispels that incorrect understanding that he is other than God because he is God. Again, verse 1 in the New King James Version. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. Even if one doesn't know what the Word means, we can gather that whatever the Word is, that Word was with God from the very beginning. And we know many of us, that that word in the Greek means logos, or it's logos in the Greek. And when you look at the instances of that same word logos, you can see the translations, the way it's used in the New Testament. We wouldn't look for it in the Old Testament because it's in Greek. It's a Greek word and it's only the New Testament. But it has translations of use meaning cause, communication, saying, expression, and then again, simply, the word. When you look at Mark chapter 4, which we read not too long ago, when the Lord Jesus speaks about the parable of the sower and the seed, he says, the sower sows the seed. He's planting it. He's Sowing the seed, the sower sows the word, and that's the same word, logos. And these are by the wayside where the logos is sown, the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and taketh away the logos, the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. But when they hear it, the message, the logos, they receive it with joy. So the logos means message. In the beginning was the message or the expression. It was the word. It was the cause, the communication. In the beginning was this word. And the word was with God. God is Theos, 
where we get theology and theocracy, government by God, and etc. In the beginning was this logos, this word, this message or expression or communication. And that word was with God. Very clearly, the Holy Spirit has recorded that the word is separate from God, whoever is God here. Because in order to be with someone, you can't be that person. If you say, my daughter was with my son, the daughter is not the son and the son is not the daughter. We don't hear someone saying, I was with myself. Someone may say, I was all by myself, but not, we were going together. Who? Me and myself. We don't say that because it's one person. But here, curiously, it's written that whoever this word was, was with God, alongside of God, with God. But then it says the word was God. And so even though it's a distinct entity, a distinct being, and if you look at verse 2, it says this same word was in the beginning, again, with God. The second part of verse 1 says, whoever that logos, that word was with God, was God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity that's in the scriptures, and we see it in many places in the scripture, but here, especially in a very direct way. We will come to know that the Word of God is Jesus Christ. But He's not just the expression of, G of God. In other words, like we speak words. Even though He's called the Word, He's not just the expression of God. But as we read the epistle to the Hebrews some time ago, we see that he, He's the express image of the invisible God. He's the brightness of the person of God. It's more than just how we see or understand uh, speaking words. Though a person can speak and the words that a person speaks can reveal uh, the mind of that person because after all words are containers of expressions of thoughts. We say things in different languages different languages we express ideas by means of these containers called words when somebody says somebody that word somebody conveys an idea but in this case it's not just the expression of God but it's actually the person of God within his expression in the book of Hebrews it says he is the express image of God is the brightness of 
the person and the glory of God. Hebrews 1, 3. Hebrews 1, 3 says, Who, beholding the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Notice, the Son of God himself speaks. The Logos also has Logos. The word of God also speaks. Jesus speaks. But his words that the Son of God speaks is not the same as the word of God himself who is the express image of his person in that sense that it's speaking about a person. Just as much as when we speak words, it's not a separate individual that's coming out of us. But in the case of the Son of God, he's, an, he's a separate individual. And yet, he is the same. How is that? How can you be separate and yet the same? That's the mystery of God, the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all together God, but not three different gods, but three different persons within the one God. And although sometimes you hear a simplistic explanation, maybe in evangelism, People are given a crash course in how to win unbelievers over to Christ, over to the gospel message, and they may try to employ this simplistic and inadequate analogy of water. They may say, well, water has three different states, as far as we have observed. It has a solid state, in which case it will be ice, liquid, as you know, water commonly used, and then the gaseous state in which it evaporates. But that's not who the Trinity is, and it's not an adequate description at all. It's not simply God taking on different states. It's not God just expressing himself different ways. He's actually three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one. Reading Hebrews 1.3 is uh, helpful when we read John chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. We may want to put that note next to John's gospel, chapter 1, especially verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. And Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. For this Jesus Christ, in the New King James it says this, If John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Hebrews 1, 3 says, this word, this Jesus Christ, this Son, as you see in verse 2, Hebrews 1, 2, 
who being the brightness of his glory, of who? In verse 1 of Hebrews 1, it says God. God who at various times, in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He sent people, men, primarily, and he had women also, prophetesses, but they spoke. Why did God speak? To reveal himself. As in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. In John's Gospel we'll see, he came into the world his own, and his own received him not. The Father sent forth the Son into the world. And the Son, as he became man, became obedient to the Father, and he was appointed as the God-man, heir of all things. He humbled himself to die on the cross for our sins. And that's why God exalted him to the highest place. Now, he was in the highest place, being very God, actually God. He was in the highest place, but he stepped down and came down to the lowest place, became a human being, and he tasted death. He didn't have to do any of this. That too he died as a servant serving and he died the death as a criminal on the cross even though he was not a criminal. As you read just the other day Mark's gospel he was numbered with the criminals the transgressors. And therefore God lifted him up again when he became man, he didn't lose any of his God head power, that God uh, personality, God power, but he set it aside. He chose not to use all of the power. How marvelous. He emptied himself and he became a human being. He became a baby. And he grew just like any other human beings. But he obeyed the Father always, in all things. He was perfect. And he apparently had choices because otherwise the temptations that came from the devil would have no bearing upon any merit concerning him making the right choice and not giving in to the temptations. He had to have had the ability to give in to the temptations in order for him to be commended as being obedient. And the Bible says, God cannot be tempted with evil and he doesn't tempt anyone. Yes. When God became man, he had the ability to make choices which were contrary to the Father's will. But the Son never disobeyed the Father, always did those things which pleased the Father. That God, the Son of God, who being the brightness of His glory, the Father's glory, as we read in context, we understand speaking about the Father's glory, the eternal God's glory, and the express image or the exact representation 
of his person who God really is. He hasn't changed. When he became a man, he didn't change his divine personality at all. And that's why Jesus could say to Philip, if you've seen me, this human being in front of Philip that they knew as the Messiah, he's looking right at Philip and said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Who? Where's the Father? He's in heaven, but he's in Jesus Christ also. It's a divine mystery. And it's written here in Hebrews 1.3, as we'll read in John also, John's Gospel, upholding all things by the word of his power. He holds which things? Not just the oceans, the mountains, the entire earth, but every single planet that we have discovered and those we haven't discovered. Everything in all of existence. Jesus Christ, that man that stood in front of Philip, that day when Philip said can you show us the father Jesus Christ was able to say if you've seen me you've seen the creator oh my if you've seen me this one single person among all the people in Israel flesh and blood you can shake his hand you can touch him and you can see him walk. He's not a ghost and he's not many different personalities walking around. One person, a human being. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Creator who holds the whole universe together. Right now, as Philip was hearing Jesus speak, Jesus is saying, in effect, I am God and I'm holding everything together. Things you can see and things you can't see. How awesome the divinity of God was revealed progressively to the disciples. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That logos, the communication, the cause, the express image of God, the very character and nature of God is in the logos who came from the Father. This gives us a, a, a visualization and a conceptualization that Jesus Christ is far bigger than we possibly could have understood. And you know how we come to realize these things? The greatness of who He is? Not simply in achievement, but in His very nature, His entity, His personhood. How do we know this? From the Word of God. From reading what He has said about Himself. So when we look at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, we must look also at Hebrews 1, 3 together better comprehensive picture about who this Jesus Christ really is. Where he came from and how he hasn't changed. I'd like you to take uh, take a look now at Colossians chapter 1. And it will be very helpful to put these notes together. John chapter 1 Hebrews 1, 3, now Colossians chapter 1. Notice, God saying again similar things to give us this proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. The Gospels are the good news about Jesus Christ. 
Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. He's actually the projection, if you will, the representation and the actual personhood of God who we cannot see. He's come into human existence, into the realm of time and space and matter to be able to handle him. In the epistle of John it says, we have handled him, we've actually touched him. This word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now people in perverted understandings of the gospel such as you find in the pseudo or false Christian group really not Christian such as the Jehovah Witnesses that's an oxymoron if there ever was one a contradiction of the highest order to say I'm a witness of Jehovah witness of Yehovah a witness of Yahweh and to deny that Jesus is God that's a whole lie and a gross misrepresentation of who they are and anyone for that matter who says look Colossians 1.15 says that he's the firstborn of every creature there you have it he's the firstborn he's obviously created no this word firstborn in the Greek prototokos is speaking of rank is speaking of rank not just the firstborn in terms of someone created and when we look at it in that context it wasn't Jesus the firstborn from the Virgin Mary supernatural he was the first among other children that Mary had contrary to Catholic misconceptions and other religious misconceptions that Jesus was born and Mary remained a virgin how could people come out with these things and have billions of people believe that because they don't read the word and no wonder for centuries the Catholic Church kept the people from the word of God under the penalty of death what kind of system is that that would similar to your witnesses claim to be the custodians of truth for God himself and have a hierarchy set up with human authority and government to control billions and tell them listen you don't touch the Bible even if you could understand Latin by the way most people couldn't but even when the Bible began to be distributed in the common languages of the people couldn't even say the prayers without a priest a satanic is it not can anyone say that we're being cruel and judgmental and we're just saying things that are a little too harsh when we say 
that the teachings of the Catholic Church, when we look at these teachings, such as Mary was a virgin. She's always a virgin. When expressly stated, Jesus' brothers came, albeit half-brothers, their birth through Joseph and Mary, whereas Jesus was directly conceived by the Holy Spirit, formed in the womb of the virgin. She didn't remain a virgin, she had other children. This concept of firstborn, even in that sense of being created, it only refers to the human body that was prepared. Didn't Jesus say, quoting the Psalms, Lo, I come, here I am, Lord, here I am, Father. In the volume of the book it's written for me. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. So in two instances, in two veins of thought we can understand, when it speaks about Jesus being the firstborn, as in Colossians 1.15, it's speaking of him being first in rank above all of creation. He is the authority, the supreme authority. And as we read the scriptures, we see more and more. We understand more. No wonder the devil hates for us to read the scriptures. And even before people get to the word of God, they have all these conceptions. This is how it's going to be. And I know about this. And we need to say, Lord, feed me. We're not supposed to be in the dark. We're not in the dark ages. Bibles are available everywhere. Isn't it a great tragedy and a great sin? Not to read the Bible for ourselves. And if we can say further, let us not be offended to hear that if we just read devotionals or read a little bit of scripture every day, still a great tragedy, rank disobedience before God because he's made it available. See, there was a time when the official church institution for centuries prohibited people from reading the scriptures. They could not touch it. We need to say, Lord, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to kneel down, and it's just going to be me and you, Lord. I'm going to read this, Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God. Stop a moment and talk to God. And say, Father, impress this into my heart. Take time to read the word of God. Let's encourage each other. We're not called to judge each other, but to help each other, encourage each other. Read this book because this book contains life everlasting. You can't afford to miss this. You can miss everything else in life but not the Word of God because it gives us life. When we have the Word of God in detail explaining more about who God is, the more we really know who God is, the more intimately acquainted we become with God, the more we become like Him and ready to dwell, dwell and live with Him. Everything to us who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. We mentioned rank, authority, but also, even in the sense of being the first to come out of the womb of Mary. After all, he existed before Mary existed. In fact, if in fact, verse 16, 
is true, just as John chapter 1 and verse 3. John chapter 1 verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Notice Colossians 1 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Again, emphatically, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. How much more emphatic and direct can you be than this? No wonder Jesus said to Philip, Philip, have I been with you this long? You've been with me day and night. You've seen what I've done, what I've spoken. Don't you realize? If you've seen, the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? He created everything. Which means the baby that came out of the womb of Mary, conceived by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, actually made the vessel through whom he came out of, he made Mary. Jesus made Mary in the womb of her mother. And he knew Mary way before she was created. Just like it's written in Psalm 139. Before her substance was formed in the womb, Jesus knew all about her. How grand and beyond our limited human reasoning. No wonder the Word of God and the communication of God, the message of God, the power of God is contained in it. It's like an ocean that's trying to be fit into a cup. We just overflow. We are in worship before God. No wonder we're called to worship Jesus, just like we're called to worship God the Father and the Holy Spirit, because we see very clearly it's Almighty God. Yes, it is 100% correct and accurate, scripturally speaking, to say that Jesus is not just the mighty Jesus, but the almighty Jesus. He's the Alpha and Omega. Notice again this concept of rank. Firstborn. Verse 18, he is the head of the body. Verse 17, he is before. He is the firstborn. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have, he might have the preeminences. Now, we're introduced to a third concept here regarding firstborn. Not as simplistic and erroneous as the devil would try to pass off through people like the Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults. The cult we mean a following which deviates from orthodoxy, from the truth. And who says what is true? God says it. All of the scriptures. In order to propagate their error, heresy, lie, what do they do? They have their own version of the Bible called the New World Translation, which came about at the turn of the 20th century. And in it, they do all kinds of editing inspired by Satan. 
to the point where they take passages like John chapter 1 verse 1 which we read and they say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a small g-o-d God and they say see there you have it it's right there in John chapter 1 he's a small God they tamper with the scriptures no such thing as there in the Greek like that it's blasphemous it's satanic and when they come to Philippians chapter 2 which we referred to when we read Mark's gospel recently they say he counted it not a seizure to be equal with God that he's not out of his mind to consider that he could be equal with the Father how preposterous and satanic to twist God's word to say that he wasn't that crazy basically he didn't have a fit to think that he was equal to the Father meanwhile Philippians 2 says who being in the very form of God that means in substance never ceasing to be God in the Greek didn't think it was thievery or robbery or wrong to say that he was equal with God that's what it says not that he didn't have a fit to think he could be equal with God and how many people followed your witnesses cultic satanic teaching millions why why are millions still following the Catholic system why because the devil has them in the dark ages ignorance that comes from not reading the Bible is spiritually fatal when it comes to matters of understanding who Jesus Christ is the Lord never said believe in me you'll have life whatever you want to believe about me that I'm a Nazarene hailing from Nazareth who did miracles and raised the dead um, and you just have to believe that I'm a miracle worker he didn't say that you just have to believe that I am I was supernaturally conceived that's all you just have to believe that I was the greatest teacher that ever lived no when he said believe in me by his revelation throughout his earthly ministry not to mention all of the statements of scripture that were prophesied he's saying believe in me that I am God I have the power to give you life anything less than that kind of belief is to deny Jesus Christ so powerful how the Holy Spirit has recorded these words and there are many other places in scripture which give us a fuller understanding of this Logos the Son of God He's Almighty He is the Creator in Revelation it's written about God the Father saying the Alpha and the Omega then Jesus says I am the Alpha and the Omega you don't have two Alphas and two Omegas it's a logical contradiction you can't have two people who claim to be first in order or rank it's one or the other and even in the concept of somebody being a co-regent co-ruler the Bible dispels that notion altogether because God is one so the Trinity is introduced to us in a far more direct way 
than in any other gospel right from the beginning when did this come about? after 1500 years of the scriptures being written nobody knew this to this extent as it's going to be declared not even the prophets but we have it in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him who? this logos, this word and without him was not anything made that was made so far John hasn't said Jesus so we know this much whoever this logos was he's God and he made everything and to clarify it further so there's no doubt whatsoever without him there's nothing that was ever made that was made period he is the supreme creator whoever this logos is in him was life and the life was the light of men it's the radiance people are biologically alive both in terms of biological life and spiritual life Jesus is the source and we see that he's referring to the spiritual life life that comes from God into a human soul illuminates all darkness so the darkness has to flee that's what becoming born again is that's why you cannot be born again and smoke cigarettes and claim that the light has come into you no you have darkness why? you're abusing the very temple that God dwells in does that mean that a person stops being a Christian at that moment? it may or may not mean that how? depending upon whether that person has come under conviction there's a car going down the road and there's a deviation and the car is headed to a ditch but then there's a regaining of control a regaining of direction and decision to get back on the road there are those people who will actually be in the ditch they've abandoned the Christian faith but they go around saying I'm a Christian why? because they refuse to give up cigarettes you see having conviction and drinking then God have mercy I want out of this thing I hate myself for doing this Lord because I'm sinning against you and I know it God help me that person is a backslider because they really if they really want to be back on track with God but the person who says leave me alone who said I can't be a Christian and abuse my body and abuse other people who said I can't be perverted and be a Christian that's Satan speaking that person is possessed by the devil's lies and if they continue that path they're definitely headed toward hell no matter what experience they had with God they could have been genuine in him was the life was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not this light from God which it's written was life so light and life are interchangeable over here if you have life 
from God, from above, that life is what will manifest every area in your life and in my life that is not consistent with God's life. And when I recognize darkness in my life, I will put it to death and shut it out. Let the light overpower me and not the darkness. Any person who claims to have the light, who's a, who claims to be born again as a Christian follower of Christ, and lets darkness rule their life, they're lying to themselves. So don't you defend your husband, or your wife, or your son or daughter, or yourself. When you're doing wrong against the light, sinning against the light, have the impudence, the arrogance, to say that I'm in the light. God says you're a liar. What does he say? I love you. Stop lying. Leave that. And come back to the truth. How forceful the word of God is and the spirit of God. How simple it is. And how complicated that sly serpent Satan has made it in the churches where people are afraid to tell another person you're in darkness. Repent. Oh no. I don't like that. You're mean. You're judgmental. You're legalistic. Leave me alone. I read my Bible. I just have to believe in Jesus. And plus, I'm not perfect. Neither are you. God understands. He knows I'm in a lot of sorrow right now. That's why I picked up a bottle to drink myself to sleep. Even if it means a permanent sleep. God understands. How many words does Satan, this Satan speaks through the people, having possessed their hearts. And you know, I'm not able to have a proper relationship with my spouse, so I look at pornography, all these men that are not my husband, to give me that feeling of being loved. And that's why I look at these other women, and they flirt at the office, so people may say, because my wife is really mean. You know, I haven't been with her physically for two years. Isn't that a crime? Beyond all crimes. I'm deprived. Excuses abound. For why? I clench my fist against God and say, I'll do my own thing. I don't care what you say. But the word of God conveys the fear of God. God knows exactly what everyone is going through. He knows the reason why. He knows how to fix it. And he knows how to keep the individual holy, no matter what they're deprived from. Isn't that the truth? What happened to that truth? That I can live the Christian life and follow my Lord in holiness, in uprightness, in righteousness. He demands it. He has given me the power to do that. And therefore... No matter what the devil says, hey, you're hungry, Jesus. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? You don't want to be deprived. You don't need to be deprived. The acid is just going to burn away your insides. Now go get it. Use your power. No. Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's all we need. For all of the money that's been spent in churches, in what is 
without question, the richest nation on the earth, especially in terms of Christian resources, books, curriculum, videos, DVD Bible studies, uh, Bible studies on the corner of every block of evangelical Christianity. Pastors abounding. You can catch a service online. You can go to a Christian Starbucks and sit there and lounge around and hear the word. Isn't it wonderful? Cross your legs and wag your feet and sit back, kick back, enjoy it. You can do it all with no fear of God. That's the plague of today's church. God help us to have the fear of God and understand. Jesus said in Revelation 22.12. I read this every day. It's the final verse I read every day in my Bible reading. Revelation 22.12. Would somebody care to read it out loud for us? God, Pastor, <clears throat> Revelation 22, 12, NLT version. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Praise God. Praise the Lord. If you have a red letter edition, you'll see in all of Scripture, this is this last statement that Jesus made before the canon or the compilation of scripture is complete with revelation barring two other statements in this very last chapter of the whole Bible this is among the last three statements the Lord said the other two if you have the red letter edition you can see quickly after verse 12 in Revelation 22 you have verse 16 I Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches I've sent this I've spoken this be warned I am the root and the offspring of David. Not only did I come out of David, I came before David. The bright and morning star. And the last thing the Lord said is, surely I come quickly. Hallelujah. Among the last three statements, Revelation 22.12, let no Christian ever forget this. It would be a good practice if you'd like. I would strongly encourage it. Read this every day at the end of your Bible reading so you can know how it really will play out in the end. Bottom line, what did you do? How did you behave? What did you speak? What did you think? I'm coming to reward you according to that. Now notice, right before then, verse 11, to clarify the lie of the devil that's again propagated in so many places oh he's just talking about rewards you know you make it to heaven it's like a, a running race and you have first place second place third place um, you have honorable mention you have runner up and different things you know so, so if you go to God and he says mm mm you believed in me, you did good for a while, and there you are, I caught you doing pornography and smoking, and you hit the bars again, and you died, and right now you're facing me, and 
What's going to happen is you're going to miss all of that gold. You see that gold over there? This part of heaven. You see that angel food over there? They're enjoying. You can't have that. You're going to have to be in this part of heaven where it's for the naughty boys and girls where you didn't really do everything right. And, but you can be here. There's your golden harp. And there you can walk around and enjoy the scenery. No. Verse 11 says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust too. Do you think any unjust people will make it to heaven? He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. you think any filth will be allowed in heaven? He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Righteous people will go to heaven. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, the conjunction is there, connecting the two. I come quickly. In other words, when the events that are supposed to unfold begin, It'll be a rapid close. And we are truly in the last seconds of the last minutes of the last hour. He says, my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. What is he talking about? He's saying if you're filthy, you're going to have a reward. You'll be shut out of the kingdom. He that knew his Lord's will will be beaten with many stripes. There's going to be punishment. That is the one who knew and didn't do it. Now, although a person can come and have their ministry burned up before their eyes because they didn't build it according to God's pattern, according to His perfect will. When it comes to sin, you can be sure none of us will enter heaven if we hold on to sin. That's how deadly sin is. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that we have absolutely perfect freedom from anything that is evil. Imagine somebody going to Christ and saying, Lord, I thank you for saving me. I'm beaten. I'm bruised. I have a black eye. My kneecaps are not working properly. I've been hit so many times by the devil and sin. I'm just all messed up and dragging these heavy iron shackles coming to the gate of heaven. Let me in, please. I made it. I know I've been a slave to sin, but I've been waiting for this day. Where's my crown? Can you exchange these chains? Uh, the chains that I've willingly put on myself. Yeah, I've been bitter. I didn't want to let go. I forgave everyone, Lord, but not that guy. You understand? And I did like to curse a little bit. I did like to hear some dirty stories and I did wink at that other person in church you know when something was said that was kind of embarrassing I know it was filthy but God forgive me I never crucified it and so those are the chains of my, my sins uh, can you have somebody come to the door here and take this chains off chains off so I can go in free no he's coming for a blameless bride what he has done on the cross shattered those chains if we willingly take those chains again, we won't make it to heaven, not even to the gate. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Somebody says, what on earth does all this have to do with John's Gospel, chapter 1? If we don't understand Jesus is God, and everything he's spoken is true, and he will judge according to what he has spoken, and who we're dealing with will never have the fear of God. It'll be another Bible study that happens in thousands of places 
across the country and across the world. Everyone, let's go to John's Gospel and it's going to be so wonderful. And take out your coffee mugs and kick up your feet. We're going to have some background music and we're going to have these neat PowerPoints. Well, it's not wrong to have a cup of warm drink, to have a PowerPoint, even to have some Christian music playing. I wouldn't agree with kicking up your feet. Where's the reverence for God? Where's the fear of God and the love of God? Where's the anticipation? The Spirit of God is about to speak to me. This casual Christianity will definitely make casualties out of those souls who approach it in such a way. And they start like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And Did you all hear that? Isn't that amazing? By the way, the 49ers are playing today. I'm sorry for digressing, but I just can't stand that other team. Doesn't it get under your skin? No, let's get back to the scripture. Lord have mercy. Not a stylistic factor that we're talking about. We're talking about the whole approach. It's either going to be spiritual or carnal. It's either going to impart life into us as we read and the fear of God more and more that we are dead set against our mortal enemy's sin and clear it out of our house and our bodies so we can be ready as the bride prepared for Jesus Christ. Or we're going to be casual and say, yeah, I read John and the pastor was great and the elder was great and you know, we just finished a Bible study. It was exciting. It was dynamic. What did it do about your life? personal sin, sin in your family, nothing, but God understands. I'm going to go try to win people over to God in the office. Praise God, we're doing it the right way. We're not the only ones who are doing it the right way with the fear of God. but certainly few among the many. That's a warning to know how you approach the things of God, anywhere, anytime in your own life. And we have a responsibility, you see, to convey the fear of God to other people. No, we don't go and hammer it with our own words, but we have to live the life. It has to be in our very bones. When you really fear the, the Lord, and you really have the reverence that's due to His name, people will know. They'll feel uncomfortable. Yes, even ministers We've seen that. Start getting uncomfortable because why? The devils that they have entertained get restless very quickly. The charges will come out. Legalism, judgmentalism, exclusivism. Well, they said all that and more. They even called Jesus Christ the devil. So, they said, don't, don't be surprised if the world hates you. And when the world is in the church, they'll hate you too. Not everybody in church, but a lot of people. 
But praise God, we don't live for the applause of men, but the honor that comes from God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God. Notice so far Jesus' name is not mentioned. But we know this much. This Logos is the creator, whoever he is. There was a man sent from God. Now we're coming to the human domain. And this man's name was John. The same came for a witness. To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. This life that came from the Logos was the light of men and there was a man sent to bear witness of that light. Why? So everyone will believe in the light. He was not that light, this John, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He's going to say, look, that's the light. There's the light. There's the Lamb of God. That was the true light, the one that John, John's going to point to, which lighteth every man that cometh into, into the world. And we know from Verse 4, when it says, Lighteth every man that cometh into the world, he's imparting life to them. He was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. The conscience that every person has, where did it come from? It didn't evolve. You have no such evidence for any conscience dwelling in any animal. But the human being has it. A sense of right and wrong, not just instinctive, habitual patterns of behavior. Even adjusted behavior due to cause and effect, stimuli. But a meditation within one's heart, a conviction, is the degree of light God has given to everyone. And a person is capable of sinning against that light. Then there's a light that God gives, which is the born-again experience, the revelation of himself, that can be resisted also. He was in the world. Remember in Colossians we read, as well as here, and in Hebrews, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. People just rejected this Logos. They rejected the light outright. But, thankfully, there were those who received him. But as many as received him, to them gave he exousia, he gave them this power or the right or the authority to become the sons of God or children of God. That Greek word can mean child, daughter, son. Technon. In other words, no matter who it is on the face of the earth, such as ourselves, we said, Jesus, come in. Jesus, come in. I want you, Lord. 
He died on the cross for me. I want you. You're my problem solver. You're my life giver. I receive you. Receiving means, what does it mean? What does it mean to receive Jesus? Light comes in, darkness goes. No one can claim to have received Jesus and have darkness in their lives. It's a contradiction. Now we outlined that a person can come under conviction when they're out of the way. Darkness is coming in through gossip, slander, bitterness, envy, hatred, prejudice, uncleanness, abuse, self-abuse and abuse of other people, despising people, disobeying God, killing one's conscience. All host of darkness can come to the Christian if allowed, if the door is open to a devil. But with that conviction, they need to cry out to God, Lord, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Help me, Lord. Please forgive me. Give me strength to overcome the devil. And they can come out of it. But there are those who have abandoned every way of escape. And every time God comes and warns them through a believer, through a pastor, in their own conscience, the Holy Spirit showing them from the Word of God, they shut every door and say, no, thank you. I love my sin. I'll go to church. I love Jesus. I love people. I will give the homeless sandwiches, you know, out of my own pocketbook money. And I will be nice to people. But when the Spirit of God tells me that you need to get off that social media, it's corrupting you. I say, no. Oh, thank you. I like that. It's a celebration of who I am, you see. If I don't have it, I feel deprived. I mean, it's boring. Life is so boring without people telling you how good you look and how well you've done. I feel like a zombie. I'm all lit up on Facebook. But when I'm before God by myself and just God, I feel like, well, I have to just push through this, you know, prayer and worship and Oh, here comes somebody. Let's, let me put on that smile. I want people to know I'm, I'm good. Receiving God means to hate darkness, including pretense, and everything that's false. Jesus is real. He's life. There's no pretentiousness in him. The abundant life in Christ. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe means obey. Faith and obedience. Would to God that every one of us who hears this message would take it and lock it in our hearts. Never sell it. Never let it get out. And convey it to people while retaining it. Show people. Your family. Your friends. If you go to another church, tell your pastor too. If you see sin is there and people don't revere God. Tell them what it means to believe in Christ. Maybe your pastor will get born again. There are cases, even today, where there are men and women leading churches who are not even born again. They think they're born again. They've learned how to preach and how to run church and please people and gather crowds and be in the market competitors 
evangelistic appeal. In two ways, they may not be born again. One is, they've never been born again. They never really repented, but they accepted Christ, you see. They made a decision, and they continued in sin. Or, they were born again, but they're living like the devil in their private lives. And some, very publicly too. But you see, when the truth is given by someone who's living the truth and empowered by the Spirit, you can be the lifeline for that person before they go to hell. Whether it's a pastor or people in the pew. May God help you. You're responsible. I'm responsible. When we know the truth as it is, we don't take and say, well, that was nice and he was pretty passionate, wasn't he? Early in the morning, shouting about God's holiness and God's righteousness and how we need to be careful. Yes, 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 yes. It's good, I have to admit. It seems to be true. It seems to be real, but I'm not going to think that way. It's uncomfortable. It's kind of different. And what do people think if I preach like that? We need to be careful. We receive the truth and the way the Spirit of God gives it. We need to care about people and say, Lord, help me to be the cause to shock somebody out of their death sleep, thinking they're doing okay and they're on their way to hell. As I quoted Proverbs the other day, if I know somebody's heading toward death and I look the other way and say, well, I didn't know it. I don't have anything to do with it. Shall not he that pondered the hearts know it? Won't he call us account one day? You have blood on your hands? You gave people a mistaken notion of Christianity? You watered it down? And you comforted them when I told you don't do that? Wow. God told the prophet Jeremiah, there are false prophets everywhere, Jeremiah. And what they do? They heal the daughter of my people slightly. So don't worry about it. Don't beat yourself over over that sin and over that. You know, let's just put on the worship music. You feel better. If you have a headache, take the Tylenol. I'll be there for you. You can call me and we can go out to see a Christian movie, stop at Starbucks and, you know, just have a good kind of relaxation to saying do you realize you're endangering your soul by talking to that guy shacking with that person who doesn't belong to you by marriage do you understand that son, daughter, friend Christian friend your soul is in mortal danger do you understand that you're going dead against God's truth you're Trying to extinguish the light. God won't have it. We need to repent. Forget about everything else. Get right with God. The people that believed on Jesus Christ and received Him, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Human beings can be birthed biologically by the impulse of a desire to have physical union with someone which is usually unlawful in most of the world and even by a concerted decision agreed upon 
by a husband and wife. We're going to have a child. But that's not the case with those who are born again. Every person who is truly born again is directly born from above, from God himself. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's exactly what John would write later in his epistles. We handled him. He was made flesh. He lived right here. We're talking to you about the eternal God who came in time, in space, as a human being. We saw him. We saw him. How would you like to see pictures of the Son of God? Imagine if somebody published that. Back in 1948, Jesus Christ came and, look, we have pictures. And somebody even took a movie of all the attractions in the whole world. What would you not be willing to pay to have a glimpse of God become man? Even a photograph. Even a movie. But we have the record that's more truer. Or I should say truer than any photographic record. It's God himself declaring to our very conscience. It's revelation of the truth. The word was made flesh and lived among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. It says in the New King James Version. The one that came from him. I should say the New Living Translation. The one and only. The one and only that came from the Father. John testified about him when he told the crowds he bore witness. This person that verse 14 says was full of grace and truth. When I read this full of grace and truth I've thought about it many times in the past. This is a description of the nature and personality of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should look at this and say, Lord, may it be true of my life. What? This love, this forbearance and forgiveness, this tenderness to go and reach people for Jesus Christ, patience, and yet that which is sharper than a double-edged sword, the truth, to cut through the lies. What a combination. Full of grace, and the truth. That's what I want in my life. To be just like Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, just being loving is not enough in our human understanding, in other people's understanding. It's got to be full of truth, and the truth will expose the darkness. And love will be there to tell them there's a way out. Take it. While there's time. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Again, this concept of rank. The firstborn of every creature. He presides over all of creation. 
He was before me. The Lord Jesus was technically born as a human being after John. But just like Jesus himself would say later in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 58, that before Abraham was, I am. John knew that. He's right before me. And of his fullness, we have all received this abundance that he came to give. Oh, beautiful. Yes, he was one says, in times past he sent these prophets, these rugged men, these uh, shepherds, these rulers, all kinds of people, prophets. But now, in these last days, he sent his son, the son of his love. The God of love has come to us. Grace for grace. Grace for grace. Or grace upon grace. Blessing after blessing from the abundance that's in our living Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't come just to say everything's wrong and I'm upset. I came here to cross my arms, fold my arms and stand there and indict everybody and tell them you're all going to hell. Bye. No. He came to warn us. There are two paths. Be careful. Make the right choice. I'm life. I love you and I have the abundance for you. Come to me. The other guy is an imposter. That devil. The other person I should say. is an imposter. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. Everything he offers. No matter how glittering it looks. It'll kill you. But I've come to give you the real life. And furthermore, to the Jewish people, he would say, all of the laws that were given, it was good. It was the expression of God's character and holy nature. But you cannot be justified by the works of the law. as we'll read later in Romans and elsewhere. You can't come to God and say, Lord, I have something to offer you to get me into heaven. I have the self-righteousness. You need surrender to the Son of God. And those people who lived by the law, such as Moses, they knew Jesus was coming. Moses said, there's a prophet coming after me. You better listen to everything he says. And Peter quotes that same verse and attributes to Jesus Christ. He's that prophet. The son of God. The greatest. But even Moses knew, as is written again in Hebrews, as a servant in the house of God, but the son is over the house. Surrendered to Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's not just a revelation of our corruption. Driving us to conform to God's standards. But through Jesus came a package, a super package. 
super abundant grace. Oh, just lavished on anyone and everyone who comes and say, Lord, I surrender. It's all going to open this way up to the whole world. That even people who are not Jews, who don't even know the law, they can come in just like the Jews, surrendering to the Jewish Messiah. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, the law could not forgive sins. Only Jesus' blood. Grace and truth. He's reconciled us through the blood of his cross. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. The same verse in the New Living Translation reads, But the unique one who himself is God, or who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. He knows. Because as the creed goes, He's light of light, very God of very God. He's God Himself. He's revealed His will. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the truth. We thank you, Lord, for helping us, Lord, to comprehend a little bit more of your majesty, Lord. But if you are truly Lord of our lives, if you're truly the creator of the whole universe, if by your power everything is upheld even second by second, and without you everything will fall apart, Lord, if you came to reveal your love to us, help each one of us to say, I surrender. I surrender my mouth. I surrender my money. I surrender my marriage. I surrender everything in my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Command me, Lord, and I will obey. Show me one more time all that you want me to do and I will pick it up again. And Lord, help me to warn the people that are around me who are drugged up with lies and perverted treatment of your holy scriptures. In these last days, you said there will be an apostasy. There will be a great falling away. You said it, Lord. We see before our eyes. Help us not to be among those who go down that path like a great waterfall falling into the flood beneath. But help us, Lord, to stand against that downfall of a sea of humanity, and especially in the church and in our own families, where we are responsible to look at them in the opposite direction to stop them from taking the plunge in disobedience and telling them grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Repent. Don't miss it. Follow him.
I thank you for your word that gives us power. And thank you, Lord, that if everything else, Lord, would fail today and nothing would work out on our behalf. If that should be, and it won't be, but our consolation, our comfort, our confidence is that we have done the will of God. And even those things that seem not to work, Lord, we know from your revelation, from your word, and how you have acted in the past, in our own experience with you, you're able to heal everything and restore everything and fix everything. So we surrender to you afresh this morning. Have your way, Lord, in our lives. Help us not to compromise the truth. Help us to have your fear in our bones that we do not sin against you, but please you. That we can be filled with the Spirit over and over and over and over again. And help others to do the same. Be glorified, Lord, in our midst. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.